pretty good size uh, digital audience today <laughs> so for our store. But uh, we're glad that you're here. I'm glad to be a part of this series that we're doing, uh, Summer at South Point. Super pumped about it. Uh, and if you know anything about me, you know that I love to read. I'm a really avid reader. Uh, and so for some reason, when summertime comes, there's just something about summer that makes me want to read science fiction novels. So I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because lots of science fiction novels have been made into big summer blockbuster movies or something. I don't know. But, like, it just hits me. It's just like, I just know, start of June, I'm ready to start pulling out some old books that kind of make me a little bit like a nerd. But that's all right. And uh, one of my favorite science fiction authors uh, is a guy named Michael Crichton. And Michael Crichton, if you're unfamiliar with him, uh, he passed away a number of years ago, but uh, he wrote a number of hugely uh, popular, famous uh, science fiction novels that were made into big movies like Jurassic Park, uh, The Lost World, uh, Congo, Timeline. Uh, there were all kinds of sphere, some incredible, incredible science fiction novels. And one of the reasons why I love Michael Crichton books is because Michael Crichton would take a subject, a scientific topic, and he would research it for a couple of years. So he would learn all the science, he'd do all the research, he'd be able to quote scientists and all this stuff, and then he would mix it with some science fiction. So he would have just enough reality mixed in with all of the fake stuff that would lead you to believe that what he was actually talking about could actually happen. Like I remember reading Jurassic Park for the first time in college and thinking to myself, why don't we have dinosaurs? Like, how is this not possible? Like, the first time I read Timeline, I thought, we can travel through time. He's figured it out. Like, why are we, why are we, like, give him the Nobel Prize. We can do this. Because he would quote just enough real scientists and just enough real life science that you'd go, this is real. Like, we can actually do this. Like, it's, that's why I love his writing. And one of his books that he wrote called Prey, P-R-E-Y, not A-Y, so it's not a spiritual book, uh, but Prey, it's a book about nanotechnology. And nanotechnology that becomes self-aware, and it's just a cool science fiction book. But in the introduction to this book, he writes about some of his research that he came across. And he writes about human advancement in technology and how fast-paced it's going. And I want to share that quote with you because what I want you to think about it in terms not of technology, but I want you to think about it in terms of our everyday lives. Because the first time I read it, I thought, oh my goodness, this is so true. This isn't just true of technology. This is true of us as human nature. Here's what Michael Crichton says. He says, we think that we know what we're doing. We have always thought so. I'm sure none of us have ever thought that before, right? He says, we never seem to acknowledge that we have been wrong in the past and so might be wrong again in the future. Instead, each generation writes off earlier errors as the result of bad thinking by less able minds and then confidently embarks upon fresh errors of its own. Now, while I love that quote, it's because I think every single one of us kind of find ourselves in the middle of it, don't we? Because we've all had those moments in our lives where we've thought, hey, I know what I'm doing. Okay, look, I know, I know you're warning me against that. Okay, I know I shouldn't do that, or I know I shouldn't act that way. I know I shouldn't think about that. But you know what? It's good. I'm not going to let that happen to me. Other people have failed in thinking those things and in doing those things, but, but I'm not going to let it happen to me. I know what I'm doing, right? I know that's foreign to all of us in this room, right? I remember when I was about four or five years old, uh, I was with my dad. It was before I was in kindergarten, and uh, we were living up in Michigan at the time. And, and so we went over to this empty, vacant house that was, belonged to my dad's oldest brother. And so we went over there to do some work. And uh, Well, my dad went over to do the work. I just went to stand there. And uh, so I went over there with him, and we were setting up some mouse traps because there were some mice that were in the house. So we set up this mousetrap, put it up against the wall, and we leaned this door, I remember, that was off its hinges. We leaned the door up against the wall. And he turned to me, and he said, don't touch the mousetrap. 
Hey, no problem. Of course I don't want to touch the mousetrap. Why would I touch the mousetrap, right? It's going to hurt me, okay? Well, of course I'm not going to. My little four-year-old mind. And so we go over to the other side of the house, and we, he starts working on something, and, and uh, I just start standing there thinking about the mousetrap. And I thought, Dad, uh, I think I'd like to go check on the mousetrap. And without even looking at me, he said, yeah, sure, yeah, go ahead. And so I go to walk out the door. And before I even got out of the room, he stopped what he was doing, and he pointed at me and said, but don't touch the mousetrap. Foreshadowing. <clears throat> And uh, so I walked over, I said, no, of course not, Dad. Of course I'm not going to touch the mousetrap, right? Of course, I mean, like, how dumb would I have to be to stick my finger in it? It kills mice. Why would I stick my finger in it, right? That's, I remember thinking these thoughts. And I walked over to the other side of the room, and I pulled the door back, and then I made eye contact with the mousetrap. And, you know, it just, like, tractor beam sucked me right in. And so I just reached down and snapped. And that thing, and I remember standing up, and that thing was attached to my finger, and I just let out a yell, and my dad comes running from the other side of the house, and he runs into the room. And being the loving, caring, compassionate father that he was, what do you think the first words out of his mouth were? I told you not to touch the mousetrap, right? And the reason you laugh about that is because whether you did it yourself, we've all had those situations in our lives, right? Where somebody was warning us, somebody was telling us like, hey, be careful. Hey, you can, yeah, be careful on that or I wouldn't do that. And we think to ourselves, oh, man, you know what? That's not going to happen to me. Come on, like, come on, how dumb do you really think that I am? I mean, seriously. And what oftentimes happens in our lives as we reach these moments where we have these stumbles, where we have these failures, these mistakes that we make in our lives, and we look back on our lives and we think to ourselves, man, I wish I knew then what I know now. And that's a great question to ask. But I think a much better question that we can ask is what do I need to do now so that I can avoid making these mistakes and failures in the future? What, what do I need to know now so that I don't repeat the same mistakes over and over again in the future? What do I need to know now so that I don't repeat the same mistakes in my future that others have made in their past? Are you with me? And that's what this entire message is going to be about this morning. That's the entire theme of this entire message today. Because oftentimes... We can look at others that have made mistakes, those that have stumbled, those that have failed in their lives, and we can think, oh, that'll never happen to me. Oh, I, I would never, I would never have done that. Oh, man, like, I would have totally seen those warning signs. Like, I told them, I told them, I told them not to do that, and they did it anyway, and now, look, look, it's exactly what I, I would never let that happen to me. And the moment that we begin to embrace those thoughts and live our lives based on that type of thinking is the very moment that we've taken our first step into our own pathway towards failure. Are you with me? And so there's one statement that I want you to walk away with today. One point of this entire message, and I know it sounds cheesy. I tried to make it rhyme, so it would be helpful to remember. But here's what I want you to do. It's in your notes. You can fill this blank, and here's what it is. That when we believe that we are invincible, it's then that we become destructible. When we start to think that we are invincible... That'll never happen to me. I'll never let that happen. Oh, I would have seen it coming, or oh, I would have stopped that, or I wouldn't have gone that. I would have never done that. When we start thinking that we are invincible, it's then that we start to become destructible. And the good news for us this morning is there are people all throughout the scriptures that have the same human nature that you and I do today, that have dealt with this issue, that God used, that God blessed, that God developed, that God took from one place to the next. And there are, the scriptures are full of people that we can look at this morning, and today we want to look at just one of them. So if you have your mobile device, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. We're going to talk about a man today who's probably one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have heard about this story because uh, it ranks right up there with like David and Goliath and Noah and the ark, right? Da Daniel and the lion's den, those types of things. And so it ranks really high up there, and it's the story of Samson 
and Delilah. Now, even if you didn't grow up in church, you're probably somewhat familiar with the story. But if you are familiar with the story, hold on just a quick second because I want to make sure and bring us all up to speed, all right? So I want to make sure we're all on the same playing field. We all know what we're talking about today, okay? Samson is one of, the, one of the very few people in all of the scriptures, in all of the books of the Bible that are written, whose birth is actually foretold by God. One of the very few people in all the scriptures. And so Samson's parents, his mother is barren, she can't bear children, but, then it, but the Lord shows up to them and says, listen, you're going to have a son. I'm going to give you a son. And uh, your son is going to begin the work that is going to eventually save Israel, the nation that they're a part of. And you have become under the subjugation of the Philistines. The Philistines are like the perpetual bad guys of the Old Testament, okay? They're like the Klingons of the Bible, okay? They're, just, they're always the bad guys. They're always the ones who are trying to jack everybody up, okay? So, so God says, listen, I'm going to raise up Samson. Now, there's going to be some requirements here. You can't shave his head. You can't let him touch dead things. Like, there's all kinds of different things that go into what's called a Nazarite vow. We won't get into that this morning. But there's all kinds of restrictions and requirements that God is placing on Samson and his mother while she's pregnant with him. They say, okay, great. So Samson's born. He comes into the world. And what we find out is that there's story after story of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Samson to do these incredible feats of strength. So, like, on one occasion when he's young, this lion comes up to attack him, and he kills the lion with his bare hands. Y'all remember a couple months ago, the hiker that killed the mountain lion in Colorado with, you know, like, with his hands? And it was just like a little juvenile one. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. But could you imagine a full-grown lion? Like, that dude, I saw the pictures. That dude was tore up. He barely made it out with his life. And it was just this little junior mountain lion. It wasn't a full-size male lion. And yet Samson, the Spirit of the Lord, comes upon him. He rips the thing in half. Wow. On another occasion, Samson is in the city of one of the Philistines, which maybe there's a whole other sermon in this. But he's inside one of the cities of the Philistines, and the Philistines surround the house because they want to kill him. So he finds out about it, he sneaks out in the middle of the night, and he gets so mad that he rips up the city gates, rips them out of the wall, out of the ground, puts them on his back, and carries them on his back for some 40 miles, and then drops them on top of a hill as if to say, boom, there you go, what are you going to do about that? Not really much, right? On another occasion, a thousand Philistines come to subdue Samson. And he picks up, actually violating his Nazarite vow, which is interesting, but he picks up the jawbone of a dead donkey and he kills a thousand Philistine soldiers. Can you just imagine that? Like, the Bible would be M.A. if it was actually made into a movie. Okay, because Samson, with the jawbone of a dead donkey, is bashing. Can you imagine? He's got all this long hair. He's never had his hair cut, so he's got these long dreadlocks, right? And, and he's just, sm and this hair's flying, and blood's going everywhere. He's probably covered in blood. He's bashing in the heads of a thousand Philistines. Like, that's crazy, right? I remember, I, like, I have to admit to you, I think the dumbest person in all of the Bible is Philistine number 1,000. Because there's 999 of his fellow soldiers laying dead on the ground, and he's going, hold my beer, I'll get him, you know. I mean, like, seriously, dude, you're not going to win that battle. So all these crazy things happen to Samson. But Samson has a problem. Samson has a problem that's actually a symptom of a much more foundational issue in his life. Samson, as powerful as he is, as great of a man as he is in his feats of strength, Samson has a woman problem, as do many men in the Scriptures. But that is really a symptom of a much greater foundational issue in his life. And it is that Samson has become the center of Samson's world. And so we pick up this story beginning in Judges chapter 14. Here we go. Judges chapter 14, beginning, or excuse me, 16, sorry, and verse 4. 
It says, sometime later, so this is after he's ripped up the city gates and he's carried them off, and now this is sometime later. He fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, if you, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overcome him so we may, so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver, which ultimately, when it comes down to it, is really not all that much money, which tells us a little bit about why Delilah is doing this and what kind of a person she is. Verse 6, so Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, stop right there, because this, this then commences some of the most frustrating verses in all of the scriptures to me, because Delilah comes to Samson, and she says, hey, Tell me the secret of your great strength, right? We just read it. So that you can be tied up. She actually tells him why she wants to know. So that you can be tied up and subdued. And Samson, thinking like this is just some kind of a joke or something, ah, she's just messing with me. So he gives her some false idea, gives her some fake idea. Like, oh, well, if you use new ropes or if you tie my hair up in, you know, a new type of a weaving thing, then that'll do. He gives her these false ideas, and she actually tries it out. And so he breaks himself free, and then the next day she comes back and she says, Samson, come on, tell me the secret of your great strength so you can be tied up and subdued. He gives her another idea, and then she tries it out again. And then she comes back like three different times. She comes to him and says, Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength so you can be tied up and subdued. And he gives her an idea as if there's nothing wrong. Like, I seriously read that, and I think to myself, how dim-witted do you have to be? To not see what's coming. Think about it. If you had a friend of yours and he owned a bank, okay, and he fell in love with a girl, and this girl comes to him and says, hey, honey, I love you, okay? Now, look, tell me the code to, to turn off the security system to the bank and the, and the vault code so that I can go in and steal all the money. <laughs> oh, honey. Yeah, okay, it's five, six, seven, blah, 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 blah. And he gives her some fake code. And then that night, she actually goes to the bank, tries to break in, gets arrested, and he has to bail her out. And then the next day, she comes back and she says, come on, honey. Yeah, come on. T- tell me. Tell me what the code is. Tell me the security code. Tell me how to get in so I can take all the money. And he gives her another one. And then she gets arrested again. Like, wouldn't you want to pull your friend aside and say, dude, she's trying to rob you. Like, do you not see that coming? And yet, Samson perceives no threat. He sees it as purely a game. Isn't it interesting how past blessing and success in our lives can cause us to become careless with the gifts that God has given us. Woo. See, we even have a word to describe this. The ancient Greeks saw this characteristic develop in human beings, and it was so prevalent that they actually considered it to be the greatest sin that their mythological heroes could commit that would lead to their overconfidence and arrogance, which would eventually lead to their downfall or their nemesis. It was called hubris. An, over, an overindulgence of pride and arrogance that leads you to become blind, which leads ultimately to your downfall and failure. Do you know what the danger of hubris is? Do you know what the greatest danger is? You can fill this blank. Is that you are completely ignorant of what is plain for everyone else around you to see. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life, and I hate for this to sound kind of crass, so you have to forgive me, but have you ever had one of those moments in your life where, like, you've gone through your whole entire day, and, like, everybody's laughing at your jokes that day. You're like, man, I'm on top of it, right? I mean, it's like everybody's laughing. Everybody's complimenting your outfit. You know, it's like, man, this is a great day. You meet with clients. You go out for lunch. Like, you do all this stuff. And then you come home, and you walk in, and your spouse looks at you and says, honey, your zipper's undone. 
You ever had one of those days? You ever had one of those moments? Like whenever then you step in front of the mirror and you have like a pimple right on the end of your nose and it's like, why didn't anybody tell me? Right? It's like you have one of those, or you have a stain right in the middle of your shirt, and you're going through, you're meeting with clients, you're talking to me, you're going out to lunch, you know, the waitress was really nice to you, and you're going, oh, now I know why everybody was nice. They all felt sorry for me. Why? It's because everyone else was aware of what you were completely ignorant of. And it's the exact same thing in our lives. Oftentimes we can look at Samson and we can go, how in the world could you not see that coming? Yet... There's a little bit of Samson in every single one of us, isn't there? Because every single one of us are susceptible to miss what's right in front of us. That's clear for everyone else to see. Let's keep going. So we skip down a few verses to verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. Well, if you cut my hair, it's never been cut. If you cut my hair, I'll become just as weak as any other man. And then she proceeds to do it. You know, as we look at this and and we think about it in our everyday lives, be careful that because you can fill this blank in your notes, that because you have weathered temptation in the past, be careful that all of a sudden that means that you'll be able to weather it again in the future. Be careful. Don't think. That because you've successfully weathered it in the past, that all of a sudden, hey, I can handle this again in the future. I got this. I've done it before. I've overcome that. Be careful because our enemy will pester you and 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 pester you. What does Delilah do? She comes to Samson every single day. She comes to him. Come on, Samson. Come on, tell me. Come on, Samson. Tell me the secret of your great strength. Come on, Samson. Just tell me. Just tell me. I mean, like, look, if you really love me, you tell me, Samson. I mean, come on, Samson. Tell me. Tell me. I love you, Samson. Come on. You love me. Come on. Let's take our relationship to the next level, Samson. You got to tell me the secret of your great strength. And so if you love me, if you really cared about me, come on, Samson. Tell me. Just tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Until finally, Samson is just war playing out. And he says, fine. Just be quiet and I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Listen. Our enemy knows exactly what you are most perceptible to. And what's tried in the past or what he may have tried in the past, he will try again and again and again because he will wait for that most opportune moment in your life. Usually, for most of us, it's when we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're frustrated. It's in those moments that, boom, he'll hit us and he'll wait for us to go, all right, fine, I'll tell you everything. Fine, it's just whatever you want to do. I don't care. And our enemy will come and say, listen, this will make you so much happier. Come on, just give in. Just give in. Come on, just give in. Nobody's even going to find out. Like your spouse will never find out about that. Your boss will never find out. Come on, the, the, the CEO will never find out. Come on, nobody's ever going to know that about your company. This will really help your company. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Come on, let's go. Come on. Come on. No, this will take your relationship to the whole next level. You know you want to do this. It'll make you happy. It'll make you satisfied. It'll make you feel really good. Come on, you need to do this. Come on, do it. Do it. Do it. Just because we've weathered temptation in the past doesn't mean that the enemy goes, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll just leave you alone for the rest of your life. No. No, he'll keep coming, and he'll keep coming, and he'll keep coming, and he'll keep coming. See, today, remember, is all about what do we need to know now so we can avoid failure in the future, right? 
that, that's what today is all about, right? It's, it's not so that we can look back and go, man, I wish I knew then. I wish I knew then what I know now, but it's rather, what, what do I need to know now? And what you need to know now is that our enemy is going to constantly be coming for us and pester us and pester us and try to wear us down so that just like Samson, we say, all right, fine, I'll just give in and do whatever it is that you want. That is what we need to know. It's what we need to be reminded of every day in our lives. And oftentimes, we have to remember that the shortest distance between where we are now and our desire and where we are now and where God wants us to be, the shortest distance between those two things is not often the road and pathway that God wants us to take because it's not always the most honorable one. Listen, you can get to where you want to go probably pretty quick if you bend the rules, you break some of the rules, if you don't let people find out, right? But what I have learned in my life is that what God oftentimes likes to do is he likes to take us the long way around. Why? Because it's in the waiting that we learn patience. It's in the waiting and in the, in the, in the, in the struggle that we learn perseverance. And when we learn perseverance, we learn to become mature and complete, ultimately lacking nothing, so that when we finally get to where God wants us to be and we fulfill the desires that he's placed inside of us and we ultimately do what he wants us to do, we are actually the person that he wants us to be in the process. Are you with me this morning? So when the enemy continues to come, it's part of the process to make us who God ultimately wants us to be. Let's keep going. Let's find out. What happens with Samson here in these next few verses? Verse 20. It says, then she called out. She cuts his hair. And she calls out to him. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before. I'll go out as before. I'll go out as before. I've always been able to do it in the past. I'll always be able to do it in the future. I've never had any problems with this in the past, so I'm not going to have any issues with it now. I've always, been, I've always been able to rise to the occasion. I've always been able to fulfill everything that's been laid in front of me. I've always been the great man or woman of God and power, and so I'll go out as I always have before. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. You know, it's one thing to know that you're not in relationship with God. It's one thing to be able to know, I'm not walking with God, I'm, maybe I'm just checking this thing out, I'm not quite sure. It's a whole other thing to think that you are walking with God when in reality you are far from Him. That scares me a little bit. It, it makes me want to stop right where I'm at now and evaluate my life and say, God, that last song that we sang, I don't want it to be a lie. I, I don't want that last, I, I genuinely mean it, God, right here. I just want you. Nothing else. Because nothing else will do. God, I genuinely mean that from my heart. Because ultimately, God, that's what matters most. And what can inevitably happen in our lives is if we are not careful. See, Samson, in his hubris and in his pride, because of his blessing, he was blessed. He had incredible success. And that led to this deformity in his soul, this deformity in his character that led him to become prideful and hubris. And because of his pride and hubris, he became careless. And because he became careless, he gave in and he thought he would always be able to do what he'd always been able to do. 
But God said, nope, nope, that's not how this works, Samson. And Samson is captured by the Philistines. They gouge out his eyes. They take him into prison and they make him grind grain like a pack animal. I think we'd all agree Samson's had a pretty big fall, hasn't he? And yet, the very last verse of this passage is one of my favorites of the entire story. Because in verse 22, here's what the author leaves us with in verse 22. It says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. As if the writer is trying to let us say, the writer wants us to know, hey, listen, yes, Samson has been prideful, he's been arrogant, his pride has led to his carelessness, his carelessness has led to his downfall. Yes, Samson is down in the dumps right now, but God has not abandoned him to his fate. God is still with him and there is still hope so that no matter how hard he's fallen, God is still at work. The hair began to grow back again. And for some of you maybe in this room, that's where you're at today. And you need to be reminded the hair is beginning to grow again. That God has not abandoned me. God has not left me. God has not deserted me. That God has ultimately still bringing about his great plan in my life. Because what we later find out in the next passage that we won't read today is that Samson, in his death, he sacrifices himself and he kills more Philistines that day than in all the rest of his life. Why? Because God had not abandoned him. Because in humility, he submits himself back to the Lord. Says God, just one more time. Just one more time. Let me, let me fulfill your purpose. Just once more. See, isn't it strange how sometimes when we get to the mountaintops of success, when we start doing what God wants us to do and we're experiencing blessing, sometimes when we get to the mountaintops, sometimes we can carelessly abandon the humility and the values and the God focus and God passion that got us there in the first place. We have to be willing to say, no God, this is your show. I'm just a part of it. So come and do what you want. So here's what I want us to do with this. So, okay, what, I want to give you some next steps that you can be able to walk out the doors today and say, okay, how do I avoid this? If, if I'm here now, how do I avoid this in the future? How do I take from Samson's past and how do I learn now so that I can avoid that type of thing in my own life in the future? Because here's the honest truth. Like every spring... I, I love planting my garden. I love growing my garden right now. My corn's growing like crazy, and it's awesome, and I'm loving it, right? I mean, my whole garden, I love it. But every spring, it is not lost upon me that when I take a tiny little seed, and I can plant that seed in the ground, covered over with good dirt, and I can water it, and I can fertilize around it, and I can put mulch and, and uh, compost around it, and I can weed around it to keep the weeds from sucking the life out of it, which that's a whole other sermon in itself, right? Like, I can tend that seed. And given the right environment, given the right circumstances, that seed will grow into a plant. And that plant will produce fruit that will produce dozens, perhaps even hundreds more seeds, which then, if left alone, could then grow themselves and have the potential in themselves to unlock. And then there'd be more plants. And then those seeds plant more seeds. And then those seeds plant more plants. And then So that in one little seed, there is locked up within that one seed the potential, the potential to cover the entire world with that plant. 
Now I realize it wouldn't go to Antarctica or anything. Okay, I'm, I'm using hyperbole, right, to make a point. In that one seed is the potential to grow like wildfire all across the globe. And the truth is, is that within every single one of us, there is a seed of pride and hubris that if given the right circumstances, if given the right environment, if given the right thoughts that we choose to embrace and think, and that seed can grow. And that seed can grow and take over and deform our souls so that we might gain the whole world lose our soul in the process so what are there what what can we do there's four quick things that I want to give you before we wrap up today number one number one is this you can fill this blank in your notes begin at the end number one is begin at the end look ahead into your life and say okay at the end of my life no matter when that is who do I actually want to become what kind of a person do I want to be known for not just what do I want to accomplish. Like, I think, I think that's a good question. Like, what do you dream about? Like, what do you want to do in your life? I think that's good. But for me, I'm far less interested in that question. And I'm more interested in the question of who do you actually want to become? Because like we just said, you can accomplish all kinds of great things in your life and yet still have a dried up dead soul inside of you. So who do you actually want to be? Well, I want to be, I want to be loving. I want to be generous. I want to be compassionate. I want to be just as passionate for God on my last day as I am on the very first day that I was saved. Man, like, like, I would love for that to be said about me. I would love for that to be the kind of person that I am. Okay, so if that's who I want to be, what do I need to start doing now to prepare myself to become that person? What do I need to change now? What works do I, need to, do I need to change what I think? Do I need to change what I say? Do I need to change how I act? How do I treat people? How I lead people? How do I interact? Like, what are all the things that I need to start praying about and saying, God, form in me the heart and the mind that you want to be there so that I can be that person that you want me to be? That's number one. Begin at the end. Number two. Number two is make it public. Number two is make it public. Now, I'm not saying you need to go on Facebook, go on Twitter and say, oh, I have such hubris and pride, everybody. I'm so sorry. You know, let, no, that, that's what immature people do. Okay, let's not go to Facebook, okay? Here, here's what I mean by that. When I say make it public, I mean go to your spouse, go to your best friend, go to your small group leader, go to somebody that's on your dream team, go to somebody that you know, somebody that you can trust, somebody that you can go to to say, listen, I'm giving you permission to speak into my life right? Find somebody that has earned the right to be heard, okay? Don't just go out and find some random person and say, okay, you and me, we're going to go have coffee together. Like, right? Find somebody that has earned the right to speak into your life. And then say, what are the things that I'm missing? What are the things that I'm blind to that everyone else can clearly see? Now be careful because you might have your friend or your spouse, or you might have them say, well, uh, okay, I mean, here, here's what I'm seeing. But I want to encourage you to have the grace and have the humility that even if something is said to you that you're going, man, of course, that's not me. I never do that. Respond in such a way that says, you know what? The next time that happens, point that out to me so that I can know. Because I don't want that, I don't want to be Samson. I, I don't want to be the man that has this stuff happening and everyone else around me is going, ooh, man, Michael, man. 
come on, man, I can't believe you said that. Come on, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you told that joke. I can't believe you went there. I can't believe you did that. Like, man, dude, you got to be careful, man. I don't want that to be me. So make it public. Submit to accountability. Number three. Number three is embrace humble stewardship. Embrace humble stewardship. What do I mean by that? When, uh, when I help people move, I am extremely cautious and careful with their stuff. Now, that, that's not like an advertisement for me to come help you move or anything, okay? But just, just throwing that out there. Uh, I don't own a truck, so, you know. Um, but what I have learned is that I'm very careful with, with how packing other people's and carrying it and packing it and putting it in the truck, right? Why? Because it's not my stuff, right? It, it's their stuff. But when we moved up here three and a half years ago from Denton, Texas, after helping plant a church for seven years, and we knew we were coming up here because this is where God wanted us to be, I told everybody, just get it all in the truck. Doesn't matter. Like, you don't have to worry. If it breaks, who cares? We don't have that nice of stuff. We'll buy a new thing. You know, it's no big deal. Just get it. As long as it fits in the truck, I'm good. Why? Because it's my stuff, right? And I'm far less, I'm far more careless with my stuff. Why? Because it's mine. And if it breaks, ah, it's no big deal. I mean... And, and when we start to see our gifts and our talents and our finances and our marriage and our kids and our careers and all of our material possessions, when we start to see all these things as ours, we can become very careless with them. Because why? Because it's, it's mine. This is my money. This is my time. This is, this is my body. I can do whatever I want with it because it's mine. And we can fail to develop and we can ultimately fail to be, ultimately become who God wants us to be and do and accomplish what he wants us to. Why? Because we see it as ours. But when we submit to humble stewardship and we recognize that everything we have is a grace from God, the very body that we indwell, the very air that we breathe, the wherewithal that you have in your mind to make decisions at work and to do things at home is a grace and a gift from God. So our time, our talents, our treasure, our gifts, our talents, all of them ultimately are God and they have get there from God and they are gifted to us as to be a steward over. And when we recognize that we are a steward, we can say, God, this is all yours. Help me to manage it well. So that ultimately when I arrive at my final destination, I hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been ruler over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. Number three, embrace humble stewardship. Number four, number four is refuse to rewrite the rules. Uh, one of the things that I love uh, about our pastor, about Pastor Scott, that really inspires me and challenges me. Uh, I've known him since I was about 15 years old. And um, still to this day, when he preaches about cutting away and killing the sin in our lives, it still challenges me. Because I'm one of those like kind of easygoing people that's like, oh, okay, let's, let's deal with this in kind of this roundabout way as best as possible. And I'm still challenged every single time that he talks about taking it out back and kill it, right? He says, refuse to do it. This day, I'm just going to make a decision that I'm not going to rewrite the rules. And one of, one of the, his books by uh, Andy Stanley, who's a very uh, popular, famous uh, Christian author and pastor, if you're unfamiliar with him, he, one of his favorite books, uh, one of my favorite books that he's ever written is a book called Next Generation Leader. If you haven't read it, it's fantastic. It's a pretty short read, very, very practical. And here's what he writes. He writes this to leaders. 
but I think that it is a dramatic challenge for every single one of us. Here's what he writes. He says, money, power, success, fame, they are all intoxicants. And intoxicated people see the world differently. For the intoxicated person, rules are for the common man, not for him. What was once unthinkable becomes necessary in light of what's at stake. What was once considered dishonest is seen as prudent in light of current reality. What was, uh, when questioned about this, his response is something along the lines of, well, one day you'll understand. Maybe you read a paragraph like that and think to yourself, well, not me. I'll be different. Perhaps you will be one of those few who's able to carry the weight of success without bending to the pressure that comes with it. Or perhaps when that day comes, you will consider your current outlook on life to be naive and you'll find yourself considering options you'd always ruled out. Time will tell. Either way, the temptation will be there to rewrite the rules. If we want to avoid failure in the future, if we don't ever want to look back on our lives and think, man, I wish I knew then what I know now. But if we want to say, what do I need to know now? Man, refuse to rewrite the rules. Say, no, God, right now, right here, right now, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to make a challenge to myself. I'm going to make this public. I'm going to talk to my spouse. I'm going to talk to my friend. I'm going to talk to, talk to this person. I'm going to, talk, I'm going to find somebody that I know that I can trust. And I'm going to say, okay, you're going to help me with this. I need help. I'm going to make this public. I'm going to choose. I'm going to submit to humble stewardship. I'm going to recognize, God, that everything that I have is ultimately yours and that I'm just a vessel, a jar of clay that you're filling up so that I can go and ultimately be who you want me to be and do what you want me to do. Watch you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, today I, I pray that we are challenged by Samson's life. Lord, so many of these narratives and stories from the Old Testament are there for our benefit. They were there for the ancient Israelites to learn how to live and how not to live. God, I pray that that same idea floods our hearts and minds today. God, that we are challenged today, that we are challenged to recognize that everything that we have is yours. And so as we walk out these doors today, help us to acknowledge our pride and our hubris, Lord, that seed that can so easily be planted within any one of us, I pray that you would kill it today. I pray that you would destroy it. I pray that you shrivel up anything in our lives that is, that is growing, that is contrary to your will for us. And I pray, God, that if there's anyone in this room today who's, who is right there where Samson was, they, they've already told everything. They're already the prisoner grinding grain. Today, God, I pray that you'd remind them that you are for them and not against them. Remind them today, God, that no matter how dark the prison may feel, that the hair on their head is beginning to grow and that there is still hope, there is still grace, there is still mercy. You've not abandoned them to their fate and you are still at work. If they will in humility submit themselves to you and confess, then you will take them into higher heights and deeper depths than what they've ever been before in their lives. I pray, Father, that you would remind every one of us that you are for us, that we are children of God and that we can submit to your lordship and your power and your authority because your love and your grace and your justice and your mercy is all that we need. In Jesus.
Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Why don't you stand with us as we sing this last song. I want to encourage you to respond in your own way. If you want to continue to pray, do so. If you want to turn to somebody around you and ask them to pray for you, feel free to do that. Feel free to worship. And I hope that you can go forward knowing that God is with you today. Amen.